following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. This evening's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. I'll give you a few moments to find that in your Bibles. And I am reading from the Good News Bible version. Jesus heals a Roman officer's servant. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a Roman officer met him and begged for help. Sir, my servant is sick in bed at home, unable to move and suffering terribly. I will go and make him well, Jesus said. Oh no, sir, answered the officer. I do not deserve to have you come into my house. Just give the order and my servant will get well. I too am a man under the authority of superior officers, and I have soldiers under me. I order this one, go, and he goes, and I order that one, come, and he comes, and I order my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was surprised and said to the people following him, I tell you, I have never found anyone in Israel with faith like this. I assure you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But those who should be in the kingdom will be thrown out into the darkness where they will cry and grind their teeth. Then Jesus said to the officer, go home and what you believe will be done for you. And the officer's servant was healed at that very moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I start, let's pray. Father God, I pray you'll be with me as I speak. Be with us all as we listen. And I pray you'll help us all to hear what you want to say to us this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. So now we're in lockdown again. I don't know if you've been thinking a lot about cake. If the lack of flour in the shops is any indicator, the nation is back baking again. We have some very talented bakers here at St Nick's. Kirsten, you definitely need to go on the real bake-off. In my house, we get through a lot of cake. I make a full-size Mary Berry tray bake one day, and the next day, when I look in the tin, I realise it's time to bake again, because there's hardly any left. Uh, this week, I made a, uh, a batch of rock cakes. They were the worst rock cakes ever. They were so burnt and crispy, but they still vanished within 24 hours. I've been cooking lots of our old favourites and tried some new cakes too. Now Johnny's birthday cake was even shaped like the Covid-19 virus with fruit pastels on sticks and everything. 
Matthew's Gospel that we're reading together in the run-up to Christmas is a bit like a multi-layer cake, a rainbow cake with each layer sandwiched together with some yummy buttercream. So Matthew's cake is made up of five blocks of teaching. And can I just say, if you missed Richard Briggs's morning sermon on the Sermon on the Mount a couple of weeks ago, do have a listen because it was fabulous. But in this sermon series, we're not thinking about the cake. We're thinking about the yummy buttercream in the middle. The encounters Jesus had with people on the road, at home, wherever he was. These were encounters which changed people's lives. They didn't just talk about the weather or lockdown rules or the football or Strictly. Jesus' encounters with the people he met were deeply meaningful and transformative. Two weeks ago, Tom talked about Jesus' first encounters with the men who became his disciples who dropped everything and followed him. And last week, Brandon revealed Jesus healing multiple people in a passage that sandwiched the one we're looking tonight. I fear I might be talking about food too much. Sorry. But our story tonight stands on its own. It has a different significance. It concerns a Roman centurion. Now, Roman soldiers, unsurprisingly, don't get a particularly good press in the Bible. But this one stands out, like the one who said, Truly this man was God's son, after witnessing Jesus' death on the cross. See, God is not like Twitter. He doesn't label groups en masse. He recognises every tiny step every individual makes towards him. So, why is there a Roman centurion in Capernaum? Now, in the Roman army, eight soldiers made, made of a contubernium, and ten contubernium made a century. Now, confusingly, eight times ten does not equal a hundred, and even more confusingly, contubernium also had a totally different meaning, representing a quasi-marital relationship between a free person and a slave. Now, leaving those issues aside, six centuries made a cohort, ten cohorts made up a legion of about 5,000 men. We love maths in this house. A centurion would have been a small cog in a very big, mighty wheel. But he would have had power over a group of men, while knowing clearly who he was responsible to. Now, if you visit Capernaum today, there's not much there, bar the historical sites. It's had an interesting history, and the Palestinian town there was depopulated in 1948. But in Jesus' time, it was a major town, bigger than both Bethlehem and Nazareth at that time, although those are now much bigger and a major town at that point, had a population of about 1,500 people, so similar in size to Shincliffe today. However, Capernaum was an important place. It was strategically located at the north of Lake Galilee, on the Via Maris, connecting Damascus and Egypt. So, that the occupying powers of Rome would have had a presence there is inevitable. I guess that was also a factor in Jesus making it his base for his ministry. So the leper who Jesus healed last week was an outsider because of his skin disease and the uncleanness and, and stigma attached. The centurion in today's story was a Gentile. He's not the first Gentile to appear in Matthew's Gospel. That credit goes to the Magi who travelled from the east to visit the infant Jesus. But this Gentile, this hardened Roman soldier, came to Jesus asking for help. His fancy helmet couldn't help. I never knew before researching this sermon that a centurion's plume went sideways, whereas other soldiers had them front to back. His special stick that he had to keep his soldiers in line couldn't help. The first word he says is Lord. He acknowledges before Jesus has done anything for him that Jesus is Lord. Remember, we're still quite close to the beginning of the action here in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus has been baptised and tempted, 
called a group of fishermen and then travelled throughout Galilee preaching and healing people. And he preached a pretty awesome sermon on the top of a mountain just above Capernaum. However, the first person recorded in Matthew who calls him Lord was the leper who was cleansed last week. So this is just the second instance. Now, if you look back to Matthew 7, 21, you find Jesus saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has clearly been addressed as Lord before, but the significance of that title coming from the mouth of a Gentile centurion is inescapable. Now, this centurion does not immediately ask Jesus to do anything. He simply lays out the facts in front of him. My servant lies at home, paralysed, suffering terribly. There is some debate about whether he's actually referring to his servant or his child here, but he is clearly desperately concerned about this poor individual. Jesus is the one who offers a solution. Shall I come and heal him? I like the fact that Jesus doesn't march straight off into action here. He asks the centurion what he wants him to do. There's a salutary reminder to us not to barge into action too. The centurion uses that Lord word again, but goes a step further, acknowledging, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. He knows that he is compromised. His military career might well have led him to act in ways of which he is ashamed. He's probably been reminded again and again that he is not a Jew, as he has sought to live in Capernaum amongst an observant Jewish community. It would be easy for us to look down on him to say, well, yes, it's obvious why he doesn't deserve to have Jesus' attention, to fail to see that the same is true of us, too. But yet, somehow he knows that while he is unworthy, Jesus still cares enough to use his power to act. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Remember last week, both Peter's mother-in-law and the leper were healed when Jesus touched them. But this centurion knows that just Jesus doesn't need to touch his servant for healing to occur. This is, as one of the commentators put it, tenacious faith. I don't know about you, but I love the way the centurion refers to his own experience in verse 9. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He equates Jesus saying the word and healing his servant with the orders he gives out on a daily basis. That is how simple it is. That is how straightforward it is. And that is how powerful Jesus is. I wish I had that level of faith. In fact, Jesus is amazed, and he says to those following him, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And presumably that includes among those very followers who are with him too. There doesn't seem to be any accusation of them here, just rather a celebration of the faith of the centurion. Verse 11 points forward to the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus instructs his 11 disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Here, Jesus says that many will come from east and west, I would add from north and south too, to take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Matthew loved the Hebrew scriptures. His gospel is saturated in quotations from the Hebrew scriptures. And here he quotes Jesus promising that the Gentiles will feast with the Jewish patriarchs. Wow. He also acknowledges that some of the subjects of the kingdom will be excluded 
when others are gathered in, those who fail to recognise him. So how does our passage end? Jesus just tells the centurion to go. He doesn't engage in deep theological discussion of sin or salvation. He doesn't encourage the centurion to give up his life in the Roman army and follow him. He doesn't sit down for a meal with him. He just tells him to go. Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Simple. We do not know how this centurion went on to witness to God, to witness to Christ. We don't know what happened next. Did this encounter transform the way he led the soldiers under his command? Did he find a way out of the Roman army and build a different career and life? Did he return to Rome and join a church there? Did he retire from the Roman army back to his home country? We do not know. It's hard to imagine him being unaffected by this encounter though. The last 2000 years are filled with stories of people who encountered Jesus and transformed the world. We can read books about Connie ten Boom or Dietrich Bonhoeffer and be astounded by their faithfulness in wartime. We can read news stories of those doing incredible work in their local communities in the midst of this pandemic. But for every story we know, there are thousands that we don't know. Thousands that we never will. Millions of Christians who have gone before us, living for Christ in big ways and in little ways. We need to remember that once we have encountered Jesus, we are called to be faithful in our real life with all the challenges that brings. It can't have been easy for the centurion in the Roman army after this incident. It's not easy for us when our faith is marked at school or university, when our work requires us to deal with really tricky people, when we're trying to make ethical Christmas shopping choices but just end up getting confused, when we wonder what the point of studying for three years was when we graduate in the middle of a pandemic when we wonder why we bother walking rather than getting in the car when no one else seems to do the same. See, we live real lives with real messes, but Jesus comes to us in the midst of our messes. He uses us despite our messes. Sometimes he uses our messes most of all. When Jesus calls Matthew, the tax collector in Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13, who might or might not be the Matthew who wrote this gospel, um, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. The centurion in the passage today knew that he was sick, that he was not worthy of Jesus's attention. But Jesus heard his request and acted on it. Jesus acknowledged his faith in coming to him. We should never think that our messes mean Jesus won't have time for us, that our messes render us unworthy of Jesus's attention, of his love that our messes disqualify us from working for God's kingdom on earth. Remember Brandon's challenge to us last week, to let God transform our wounds into witness and our scars into stories. What are we called to do? Firstly, we are called to trust like the centurion in our God who has the power to heal and transform us. And secondly, we are called to let our lives be shaped by our encounters with that God. Whoever we are, whatever we are doing. Mother Teresa famously said, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Brother Lawrence, who uh, wrote about practicing the presence of God, um, spent most of his time doing the washing up, seemingly. But he said, we can do little things 
for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him. And that done, if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship before him who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. We can't all be Joe Biden or Marcus Rashford. We can't all preach to a football stadium full of people. But we can all trust in a powerful God and live our lives every single day in the light of the love of a loving God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.